It, it reminds me of blockchain iced tea. You remember when that came out? Everything was blockchain. Just that blockchain and get 20% on the shit price. I think we're going to see a lot more of that coming up soon too, where we just say we've got AI doing No, No one's got AI doing it. It's just the sort of techno greenwashing of sorts. Welcome to the Futuristic Episode 17, Steve Samatino. We're recording this Thursday, the 9th of November, 2023. How are you, buddy? I'm well. Had a busy week. So I'm real good. <laughs> That's good. You want to tell us about it? What are the highlights? Highlights is we're very close to closing a round for a 5 million round for Macro 3D. Very exciting. So some lead investors. And I've always said that real entrepreneurs don't get money. They self-fund. So I just broke my own rule. Um, but uh, that has been the biggest stuff that I've worked on this week. We had Melbourne Cup week here too, which interrupts things a lot. And uh, the other thing I've just been playing with is chat GPT, just trying to work out how to build a GPT that can convert concepts into CAD and CAD into code. And so the announcement could not have come at a more perfect time. So I'm just reading up on when that's released, how I'll be able to do it and what I need to do because I think I'm going to be all in on uh, building my own GPTs. It's a revolution, baby. Are you the one who broke it? You broke GPT no, today, no, yesterday? No, no, I didn't. Yeah, I know. No, I didn't. I didn't. But I tried to log in when that happened, and I was like, oh, what's going on here? Well, uh, you know, I my highlight for the week is going to be that I built my first – I wrote my first app last week um, to interface with the OpenAI API in the back end because I kept – I've been using it so much lately, ChatGPT, that I've been running through my limit. They've been timing me out. And so I was on Reddit and I was bitching and said, well, not bitching, but I'll say, what do you do? Like, and a lot of, a lot of the limit was being used up by it getting stuff wrong when I was coding and me saying, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. And then it goes, sorry, your time's up. <laughs> Boat number 67, your time is up. Please come back to the shore. I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And people said, well, just, you know, you just build your own app and then you pay via the API. So I sat down and wrote an app using GPT, Pythoned it, and uh, got that up and running, done a couple of iterations of it. So that was exciting. But then, obviously, watched the keynote earlier this week with their first dev day and built my first assistant as well um, in the playground, not in the API, but I built a QAV one. So um, uploaded the draft of the QAV book for people who don't know QAV's one of my other podcasts where we talk about value investing. Steve was one of our early guests, our first guest, I think, on it. In fact, your episode is part of this project. So um, I took the I took the the sort of guide to QAV that I've written and a bunch of the transcripts of the episodes, gave them to GPT and said, "Okay, answer questions based on these documents." And it was perfect. I, 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 a couple of hours ago, I said, "What's the Samatino method?" Boom, boom, boom. Gave oh, me a yes. gave me a breakdown of the Samatino method. Uh like its ability with these new assistants, its ability to understand exactly what you want and to re-articulate it. It's not quoting the notes verbatim, it's it's understanding it, re-articulating it in its own words. I tested mm. it on a bunch of arcane things in the QAV process. Like 
how we use price to cash flow and what in our spreadsheet, what is column AM in our spreadsheet all about? And it figured it out and explained what column AM does and why it's important. Like it's blew me away. And I built it in two minutes in the playground because you just point some documents at it and then start asking it questions. It's insane. It's going to take me a little bit more to build an API, but um, assistant. But anyway, what a huge week. I mean, I I keep thinking, Steve, you know, the the first Matrix film when Keanu says, I know Kung Fu. Or he turns to (laughs) Trinity on the rooftop when there's a Blackhawk helicopter or something. He says, do you know how to fly that thing? And she goes, I do now. And off she goes. That's kind of what it feels like now. It's like, you need to do something. I can do it. It really is. And I just... We'll talk about that in the when we get to the the news, but it's a, it's a really special special moment, and I actually feel like it's a big moment of democratization, where the the tools that that the nerds have built are really maybe for the first time inviting everyone else in to the party, and I feel like it's going to have it. We're going to have a creativity explosion because the ability to build something is going to be no code, low cost to no cost. Um, anyone building anything, and the app store was a revolution, absolutely, but this is just next level because it's really open to anyone. It's 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 just it's an extraordinary moment. I use ChatGPT to do help me write my blog post for tomorrow, which I either use it right at the start or right at the end. Is pretty much if I'm doing writing, and I want to write about mind gyms. Um, you know, the idea of a workout is crazy. Like, just ask anyone. You know, go back two hundred years ago in a time machine, and people say, "How do you start your day?" Oh, with a workout. And they'd say, oh, you go to work. No, 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 I have a workout. What do you mean workout? I would go to this place and I lift heavy things. Oh, you mean working? No, no, I lift heavy things. Where do you put them? Just up and down. Why do you do that? Just to give my body a turn. You know, it's like we might need that for our mind. We're going to need mind gyms. I wonder. I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted to explore this idea. So I went into chat GPT and I said, give me some ideas around the idea of mind gyms and you know, intellectual gyms to keep our Brains fit in a world filled with AI. What might be in them? What might they look like? What are some of the things? And it gave me a really extraordinary answer, which I'm going to modify and, and post. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, so we oh, look. We need to start with the big news for the week, which was the OpenAI Dev Day. Um, I I watched the whole thing, not live, but as soon as I got up, it was the first thing that I did, and um, it it really took me back to Steve Jobs. Do a show, you know, doing the first demo in 2001 of the first iPod or 2007, the iPhone. It's it's one of those moments that you and I are old enough to have lived through, which is, well, well shit, everything changes. To, like, everything has just changed again. And, and I, 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 kept, I, I kept saying to myself, it's less than a year since they went public with GPT-3. It's been, it, that was the end of November 22. Here we are, first week in November 23, and they've just come out with all of these new tools. Things that, um, the ability to build your own GPT, which I thought were probably at least another year away, um, they're already out with. So it was a a big day. Not only, they they talked about, for people who haven't paid attention this week, GPT-4 Turbo, cheaper and faster, if you're using cheaper, if you're using the API, um, they talk, you know, they've gotten rid of you having to 
select between DALI 3 and the regular GPT and um, advanced data analysis. It now just works out what you want and does it all in the one thing. Some of these things are simplistic, no, really no big deal, but the the ability to build your own GPT, the ability to build your own assistance off the back of GPT, mm. is the beginning of the stuff that we've been talking about on the show for the last six months, which is, as you said before, everyone becomes a coder. Like Sachin Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, who, who spoke for a few minutes at the Dev Day, but I quoted him a, a few episodes ago saying that, we're heading to a world where there'll be a billion developers. We're going to go from 100 million developers to a billion developers because you will be able to just, like the, when you build your own assistant, like I've been writing all this Python code for the last few months using GPT. <laughs> um, now with the assistant, you just tell it in natural language what you want it to do. Yeah. I want you to answer questions based on these documents that I'm going to upload to you. Boom, it does it. Like it, it, it does all of the coding uh, and that's just in the playground version of it, but it does all the coding on the back end. It knows what you want. And we're moving so quickly to a world where you'll just be able to say, hey, I, I need you to go and get this information from this app and this app and my fridge and my PC and my car, and then spit this output to my watch uh, this time of day, and it will just know how to mm. do it and get it all done. It's It's yeah. an astounding time. It, it really is just a moment in time. I thought the same thing about Steve Jobs. I, one of the things that's interesting is that so many tech announcements recently from other big firms have been so disappointing. They're like living on yesterday's glories. It's like an old stand-up comedian that's coming out. And sorry, Jerry Seinfeld, I used to love your stuff, mate, but you come out and you just keep doing the same stuff. It just doesn't quite hit the way that it used to. Or a stand-up comedian worse, one that has – been living rich since they've got into Hollywood and made some movies and they've lost touch with society and just haven't got it anymore. And it's like open AI is the, the new kid on the block and people were cheering before he announced it and they could sense it. There was a real sense of a shift. Just watching that thematically to see the, the human reaction really told us where we were. I mean, the Apple, Apple launches were boring and almost boos and hisses, you know, when they came out with their oculus ripoffs or whatever they, you know yeah. you know so it was it was interesting from that perspective i actually had a look at the microsoft share price since they invested in open ai and it's a 65 percent upswing and yeah. i i just i just think it's probably the best investment of all time well you know i'm skeptical about that i i think that whilst open ai i'm talking is- about the, the 10 billion that they invested in i mate, i think it's extraordinary because i think they're gonna take a hold of the market because they're moving towards a platform orientation. Yeah, I, I think OpenAI is probably Netscape circa 1995, man. Like, um, <laughs> Could be. Look, they're doing amazing stuff and they're definitely leading the pack, but there's there's no moat. I don't see any moat in this, man. Like, Yeah, but you could argue the moats, like what moat does Apple have really? Others can do it. Can, but don't. Yeah. Yeah, but this is the I point. I mean, is Apple's. Anyone else can build the well, technology. Say, and very often, it's not yeah. the tech that wins. It's getting first to market and just leveraging the fact that you were there first, you fill the void, and there's But Apple laziness, wasn't there first. extraordinarily you, better. You've said this many times on the show. Apple wasn't there first. Well, not even with touchscreen phones, but, you know, they came out, they did it better than everybody. Yeah, they and did, definitely. They did enough. They, they were first to get wrong, an but... ecosystem. They were first to get yeah. an ecosystem hmm. and, a, and, and a, a platform that others could plug into where they had this 
you know, the App Store was a, a very extraordinary move, I think. I tell you what, I went back, I showed Fox, because Fox is nine. Uh, I showed him the 2001 iPod launch, Steve doing the launch of the iPod. And what struck mm-hmm. me in rewatching it is how underplayed the whole thing was and how the audience was so muted. Yeah, remembering oh, the first Steve- of 2001, wasn't it? The iPod yeah, 2001. Where he just had, and he took it out of his jeans pocket and it yeah. was a real no, low-fi room. That's pocket. when Apple was... <laughs> That was when Apple was nearly broke, wasn't it? Everyone's like, yeah, well, what? they did yeah. device. What, this is going to save your company? Microsoft had to bail them out a couple of years earlier with 100 yeah. million bucks right. in the late 90s. That's right. I was there at the time. 97, I think it was. Um, yeah, it was, it was, Steve had only been back uh, a year or two as the, he was the interim CEO for a while, but it was really low key and no one was, was. ooing and ahhing. There was no reaction from the audience, audience when he pulled it out. Looks really and, low fi You know, in retrospect, we go, we know what that led to, right? We know that that right. changed yeah, the yeah. world because yeah, it led to, you know, yeah, yeah it led to what Apple is today, you know, and basically. Um, but anyway, like I, I'm not convinced that OpenAI has, has got this that much of a runway here. Um, we'll talk about some of the stories later on. But anyway, that said, this point in time, right now, what they're doing is insanely cool, and um, I've just been like giddy again the last couple of days. It's just ridiculous. Speaking of other guys doing stuff, what's Elon been up to this week? Uh, oh, he's, he's Steve. Yeah announces Grok, their rebellious AI. And I just thought it was interesting because obviously Musk is now coming in. He was one of the early investors in OpenAI with his own version. Like like you say, everyone with a little bit of money has got an LLM in their back pocket. But what I thought was super interesting is the positioning of him as a person and uh, his idea of free speech and this AI does whatever you want it to do and it's – not necessarily going to be well behaved. I just thought that was a really interesting. And we've spoken before about AIs having their own personalities. It's another story we'll go through later where there's an, an, another couple of examples of uh, AI from Boston Dynamics and the different personality types they have. But I just thought it was interesting that when you're second to market, unless you've got an astoundingly better product, uh, product then you need to sort of almost have a point of difference. It kind of reminds me of consumer goods. It's like all the all the washing powder or shampoo is the same, so you just come in and have a different flavour or small point of difference. And unless something is astoundingly new and big, um, you always end up with something quirky. And I just thought the rebellious AI was really fits where he is as a person. But Well, I think there's a couple of different angles to that. I think there was a particular kind of personality in some of the screenshots that he shared of it where it was a little bit snarky in its responses, which mm. is no different to how ChatGPT is with me because that's how I've told it in the custom instructions that I want it to talk to me. I want it to be free-flowing and a little bit of a smart ass, and it is. Jokes around, it's, it's, it uses offensive language. It's, um, you know, kind of a, a irascible, Riley-esque personality that I've given it because I like to talk to myself, as you know. But I've seen other screenshots of Grok where it, that it's not responding that way. So I think there are different tones that you can yeah. take with it. But the big thing about his announcement, the big thing about Grok, of course, is that it's trained on Twitter. It has access to Twitter, which means that it has real-time news and information. He asked it in one of his screenshots, he asked it about uh, a question like, when was, w- when was the last time 
Elon Musk was on Joe Rogan's podcast, which had just happened a day or two earlier, and it had the information. It talked about that Joe Rogan wore a blonde wig through the whole thing. Um, it, it was up to date. So that's interesting. You're talking about a point of difference. Mm. He owns one. That's a big one. That's a yeah. big one. I mean, especially when um, OpenAI have set out data is now up to April versus mm. Twitter, which is mm. real time, and the fire hose that is Twitter tuning into the world, you know, thought radio, whatever was happening at mm. that point in time was its core proposition for me for a real long time. Mm. I haven't used it much at all this mm. year. It's my, I'm really declined in usage very rarely now just because of all the negative stuff. But that idea of it being a fire hose of real time, that was what mm. really put it on the map, mm. you know, going way back to the uh, Arab Spring and, you know, the Hudson River plane crash and all that kind of stuff. Go to Twitter, see what's happening. It used to be the place for real time, but mm. it's a definite point of difference. Mm. Well, speaking of Elon, there's another news story with him I wanted to talk about. It's right down the bottom of my list. Um, I only read this last night or this morning. Yeah, Neuralink are ready to start surgery. We've we've done a couple of updates over the last year on Neuralink, but they're now ready. Uh, they're prepped, they're looking for their first patients. Apparently they've got thousands of people, according to this Bloomberg article, that have submitted themselves as willing patients. I think on our last story you were like, who would be first? Well, there's a lot of people. They're looking for the right candidates, somebody who's a quadriplegic. Um, And so there's this interesting article in Bloomberg talking about this journalist um, has spent a lot of time in Neuralink with Elon watching the way that he's – pushing his neuroscientists to ramp this up. Maniacal energy is Elon's own quote in this, his own term. He wants it to be maniacal. And he keeps saying, like the way he's positioning it internally at Neuralink is we're at a, we're in a race to beat the super intelligent AI that's going to take over the world. We need to get this technology ready so by the time super intelligent AI arrives, we can integrate with it and the human race will be saved. He sees Neuralink as part of his play to save the human race from extinction by artificial intelligence. There was actually in Bloomberg, I think it was as well, the Bloomberg tech update, they said, uh, you know, it's Elon Inc. And they just went through the the various forms of influence that he's having, you know, the fact that he's deploying his AIs in his cars and, uh, you know, you use Twitter as the fire hose to inform the AI and then you've got the race against AI with the Neuralink and then, you know, the connectivity that will be required with SpaceX. It, I mean, it really is a conglomerate of things that have significant and strategic overlap, you know, for, for all his flaws, you know, flawed genius. The structure of the things that he's built and the potential for overlap on those is is quite quite extraordinary. Yeah, and I, they did make the point that um, you know he blew up the first few rockets that he tried to put in space, and you don't you're hoping he's not going to be blowing up the first few brains that they try and put these things in. But they've had a lot of successful animal testing, and um, it's hopefully- not a new idea though. The idea that you are testing out surgery or uh, medicine on people who have, you know. <laughs> It, there's downside, of course, but but have an extraordinary upside to try experiments has always been the way that new medical discoveries have been made, and I guess this is just a, a techno version of that. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, you know there's some interesting uh, projections. Now we know that Elon is famous for making very bold uh, projections about when he's going to have cyber trucks on the road and when he's going to be putting people 
into uh, uh, space onto Mars and things like that. Uh, and he doesn't have a great track record at delivering on timelines, but that said, he um, does a relatively good job of getting somewhere at some point. But he's sort of projecting that they're going to be ramping up these surgeries like it's a couple of hundred at the first year, doubling it the next year, up to like tens of thousands a year by 2030, I think. So I don't know when he thinks we're going to get super intelligent AI. Uh, Obviously, probably not before 2030 because I don't think 20,000 people a year is going to save the human race. But uh, we only need a couple of thousands of super intelligent humans. They can organize everything on our behalf and be our techno proxies. They can I'm be trusting, our data. They can be our data. Uh, I'm trusting the AI over the uh, super intelligent humans any day, Steve. Well, if you have an AI and it's your AI, I mean, that gets a philosophical question. Then does it need to be inside your head so long as it serves you? I mean, yeah. Uh, we don't I think know. That's, the, yeah. that's the question we don't know. Well, what if. You get an AI inserted in your brain and the AI goes rogue or you get hacked and it hacks you to the point that you are doing things that you don't want to do, but it convinces you that you do want to do them. Like what's the difference there? Do you know what I mean? That's like you become – the humans become a hackable species. Or if Optus is running your AI and they have an outage for 24 hours and your brain brain shuts down for 24 hours. You just go to sleep or you just just get like Homer Simpson and and I need – thing to dig food with <laughs> yeah, like you, you just forget yeah. everything and and we're both wearing yeah. glasses i well, wonder if you have an ai does your does your, the organic portion of your brain decline and atrophy uh like like mm. my eyes have atrophied like i'm certain that my eyes have atrophied since i've had the glasses and i take them off and then they adjust a little bit because i'm like hey work you suckers mm. so mm. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, there's a book that I've mentioned a few times. It's um, Accelerando. It's a science fiction book that's about 25 years old, but I reread it recently. And the main character in that, Max, has uh, like AIs basically strapped to his brain all day long and has had for years. And they enable him to do things that he wouldn't be able to do just with his wetware. And then he gets mugged and the muggers steal his wearable AI. He's got he's got like a it's like a vest with supercomputers in this vest that power <laughs> his AI. They steal it and he basically becomes you know his IQ drops back down to normal human level and he can't function uh without his AI because that it's his memory too. All of his yeah. memory was outsourced to this uh lo- you know local storage and, to learn how to walk again and, and yeah, eat. He just, he's, he's, he, you know, he's in a strange city. He's in like a soccer and he can't remember why he's there, who he's supposed to meet. His contact information is all on these hard drives. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, if, if I lost my phone or if I lost inter- access to the internet for a long enough period, all my computers and all my internet, I'd be, I wouldn't know what I was supposed to do tomorrow, right? I don't have a paper um, diary. I have no idea of my memory. I know all of my family's phone numbers off by heart that's the only thing i've got that's all oh, cam just well. that. that's the a- last that they're the last people whose phone numbers i would want to remember as my family steve so disappointing disappointing look up in the sky cam it's a can anyway, of soup can of soup that's where you want to go next so i think we can pick and choose from the stories don't feel any obligation to 
go well, in uh, numerical order, but you, you pick well, one that you uh, want to but, talk about, Steve. Uh, well, I don't really want to talk about it. I'm just going to say that we're still waiting for Amazon drone deliveries. There was a, a takedown article in the New York Times saying that uh, the promise of drone deliveries is just not seeming to function and seem to happen. And they had a bit of a takedown on how many deliveries they had promised that they would do via drones and that we'd all have things arriving via drone. And it's happening, but just at a tiny scale. And that was been a disappointment. Another real quick one that I thought was interesting was, you know, and I'm surprised it even took this long. An AI robot CEO uh, has uh, CEO has come in um, from a, a healthcare company in Europe where they've got an AI that's acting CEO. It, it reminds me of blockchain iced tea. <laughs> Remember when that came out? Everything was blockchain. Just that blockchain and get 20% on the share price. Mm. I think we're going to see a lot more of that coming up soon too, where we just say we've got AI doing it. No, no one's got AI doing it. It's just the sort of techno greenwashing of sorts. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the drone thing. So according to the quick read of this New York Times article I did, the reason why, or one of the reasons anyway, why drone deliveries haven't become a big thing is they're it's kind of very limited utilization of what you can do with with a drone. Um, it says only one item can be delivered at a time. It can't weigh over five pounds. It can't be too big. It can't be something breakable since the drone drops it from 12 feet. The drones can't fly when it's too hot or too windy or too rainy. You need to be home to put out the landing target and to make sure that a porch pirate doesn't make off with your item or that, doesn't, or that it doesn't roll into the street. But your car can't be in the driveway. Letting the drone land in the backyard would avoid some of these problems, but not if there are trees. Amazon also warned customers that drone delivery is unavailable during periods of high demand for drone delivery. So it's like that. Just can I just say that every week there's an article that reads like an onion piece, and that's this week's show. I mean, that reads like an onion piece, doesn't it? Does yeah. It's like one of those things that uh, who thought this was going to be a good idea, really? Like. what are you going to get was, delivered oh, by I'll tell you what it was. It was a great idea for the share price because whenever you announce something extraordinary like that, investors get excited, right? Because often you know, the speculators are buying a hope of tomorrow, not the reality of today or potential cash flows. And um, and that th- those things have worked really well for company, for big tech. They've done a great job PRing what the future looks like. And they've got the license to do that because – they're the people that put you know magic in our pockets and 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 brought the world to us in a way that was you know almost fantasy. So they come out and say we'll all be going in driverless cars in you know three years, or you'll be getting everything delivered via drone, or you know, your house will be run entirely by AI. I know exactly what you want, and the walls will have ears. I mean, they've got the the license to say that you know the the license in people's minds, and it's worked really well for them in terms of. I think that's one of the reasons why tech companies have higher price ratios. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, I, I can imagine drone delivery being useful for something that was an emergency. Uh, mm. I did read an article, I think, in the ABC this week about mining companies in Australia looking at having drones delivering something to remote mine sites, which makes sense. But uh, yeah, I can't think of too many things that I've had an emergency. High, high value and emergency. Yeah, yeah. High value and emergency. And weed is about the only thing that comes to mind. When it works. If you run out of weed suddenly and you need California, uh, 
yeah, you need to get high. Well, here too. There so, must be a dispensary in California who has that. I mean, it's perfect sure. for weed guy who can't get off the couch and can just yeah. press <laughs> press a button, you know. <laughs> Tim Tams uh, and weed. All right, well, I, I want to talk about some real things that have really hit in the last week or two since we last spoke, Steve, where AI is now being integrated into real products and they are genuinely useful. They're not fucking around here. Uh, mm. The first one that uh, changed my life in the last week was Audio Hijack. That's a Mac app. I've used it for many, many years. It enables you to, um, well, you know, I'm using it behind the scenes with this podcast. It takes my audio, your audio. If I want to play uh, uh, a sound bite or a clip like. Touch these two strands together and the Daleks are finished. Have I that right? If it's destroy the Daleks, you can't doubt it. But I do. You see, some things could be better with the Daleks. I can play clips. I can anyway. I can do. I can. I can take YouTube's and play. But anyway, their new version came out with a transcription module built into it. It uses OpenAI's Whisper technology, and behind the scenes of this podcast, in my Audio Hijack module, it is transcribing our podcast live as we speak. Now, it's not the best transcription tool I've got. The The editing tool I use, Descript, I think does a better job. But the fact that Audio Hijack now has it, and it's free to use if you have Audio Hijack. So what I've been doing the last day or two is taking all of my backlog of, of my archived episodes, particularly for QAV, to be part of this QAV GPT app that I'm building. I'm just queuing up all of the archive of episodes that I've got. I've got a lot of them transcribed, but I was up until up until a couple of months ago, I'd been paying a, a human to transcribe these episodes. Uh, then I started using Descript, which does it for me during the editing process. Now I'm just pointing all of my old audio files at this tool and it's just transcribing mm. them. Then I'll be able to take those transcriptions, feed them into the the GPT tool, and it'll it'll be the knowledge engine to generate that. So Audio Hijack's integrated AI. Zoom now has AI uh, integrated into the app. It You can ask it questions. I haven't tested this yet. I don't know if you have, but apparently- I haven't tested it, but I looked at the video. I mean, it looks very similar to the Copilot Microsoft, almost, almost clone-ish. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. So apparently we can just go and, and ask it uh, to summarize what we talked about. Uh, during this conversation, trying to figure out how to bring it up. Well, I think you need to be on the paid version to do it in the first instance. Well, I am on the paid version. Uh, I live in Zoom. It popped up the other day, and uh, I didn't have a chance to play with it, but so I'm looking for – oh, here we go, AI Companion. AI companion. There, it is. there we go. There it is. Uh, start. Got it. Uh, was my name mentioned? Not much has happened since AI. Oh, okay. I have to turn it. <laughs> it doesn't work until I turn it on. All right. We'll let it run hey, for a few more. We're going to come back. We'll test it out. Let it run. Yeah. We'll come back. That's built in. Um, there's a new app that uh, just came out. I think this week called Move One AI app. I've seen a couple of um, technologies like this. The this app enables animators and creatives to capture human movement anywhere and turn it into project ready animation. Um, mm. I haven't played with it, but I've seen the demo videos. 
So basically, instead of having to put a mocap suit on with ping pong balls, yes, very yes. expensive Hollywood technology in order to capture movement that you can feed into an animation engine, you can do it with your iPhone running this app. You just stand in the room, you just wiggle your body and jump around. It will then give you that information to use as a, to put into an animation engine or, or a game engine or whatever it is that you're working on. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing stuff. I wonder if you know, the game developers or uh, Hollywood studios are already using this type of technology and it's now just been democratized or whether they're going to go, holy wow, we've just cut our production costs by a whole lot because it was pretty cool the demo i was like wow I'd, i'm gonna like download it and do some stuff with my kids tonight because i'll love that you know doing themselves and turning them into an animated bear or what have you it, it looks pretty cool and, and i can see how it's it'll have a lot of use cases yeah well particularly as you know we've talked about this before on the show but i don't think we're very far away from being able to say to a generative ai tool write me a script for a short film and then animate it but if you want so, mm. some particular kind of movement or particular kind of action in there, or you want to do a story about your kids or whatever it is, you'll be able to film it, uh, capture the action and throw it into the animation generation engine for something specific that you want it to do. Anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it's that, it's, you know, it's, cool. it's this, we, we've hit this time already within a year of GPT three being released where genuinely, interesting useful applications of of low level ai are being built more and more into tools like there's been forms of machine learning machine intelligence in like like autocorrect or you know siri or whatever using it for a long time now but we're just in this next generation now where every every application is going to have an ai component in it um it's just going to be a it's, just, it's a little bit like when digitization came around and the easy thing to think of is, you know, documents and office and mail becomes email and we digitize everything. It's almost like now whatever applications we got, we just AI that. Now you just have like the AI version of that thing where whatever process needed to be coded or created now, it's just it's semantic language programming and putting things together and you have generative AIs of almost everything. It's almost like that technology stack where now the next stack is the AI stack that goes on top of whatever it was that you were going to do. Now you'll do an AI version yeah. of that. And, you know, I, I, you know, I think every business, every government department, every institution out there right now needs to be dedicating a massive chunk of their management time sitting around and doing some hard thinking about what does this mean for our business what does this mean for our department in the next 12 months not five years from now not five years well this is interesting i was just on a call today from a, a big transport company and they're like we've got our uh, uh quarterly meeting with senior managers we want you to come in and just give us about a little bit on this AI thing. And it feels a lot like it did in the early social media where it's like, oh, what's this all about? Okay. It's almost like they can tick the box. They've said someone talk about it and then we'll just go back to do what we did yesterday. It doesn't feel like they're experimenting and making. They just want to, they're curious. They know it's here. They know it's a revolution, but I don't think they're doing 
what you've suggested. They need to dedicate resources and get serious because it's a, it's a real game winner if you do use it, you know, from inventing new revenue streams and creating more efficiency. It feels like not many doing it. Big corporations, they just want to know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, they don't want to get caught out in um, their next annual general meeting where somebody says, what are you doing about AI? And they're like, uh, what? They, they they need to have some quick and dirty talking points uh, for that kind of stuff. But, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about what the real implications are in the next six months. And uh, the, the GPT's announcement, I think, is part of uh, driving that. So you think about, I mean, customer support is the first um, wave, I think, where we're going to see this. Like you can take all of your documentation of your business and all of your customer support manuals that exist for your customer support, you know, uh, outsource call center, wherever it is, feed those now into GPT. Mm-hmm. Put that up as a, a chat bot on your site or on your call number, because you'll be able to do it with voice as well. They have voice in the assistance. Speaking Mm. of which, we should bring um, Maverick into this conversation at some point. He's feeling left out, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, And it will just answer questions. Faster, better. No. (laughs) Yeah. Are you familiar with a band called Sparks, Steve? No. Oh, my God, man. You're missing out. So- I'm not. Uh, Sparks is a band. They've been around since. Oh, write that down. Every every episode, Cameron gives me something to write down, books to read and things you, to you, check you, out. You just miss it. I spelled it with an X. No, Should it be spelled with an X? S-P-A-R-K-S. Two brothers, Ron and Russell Male, M-A-E-L. They've been they've been around since 1971. They're the most influential band you've never heard of. Uh, there was a great documentary that came Love out that. a few years ago by Edgar Wright about them called the Sparks Brothers. You should check it out and watch it. Uh, just look at the trailer, if nothing else. Anyway, they they just toured Australia. Uh, their first time back in Australia in like 25 years. Their first time ever to Brisbane. And Chrissy and Fox and I went to see them. Uh, it, it was last week. It was an amazing concert. It was absolutely fabulous. But all of their songs are kind of snarky social commentary, quite funny. And they've got a song. I can't remember the name of it, but basically it's it talks about, I'm so confused. First she said, your call is important to us. And then she said, please hold, please hold. It's called, the song's called Mixed Messages or something like that. She said, your call is very important to us. I and love, then she said- I love that. I did a blog post on that years hold, ago. Your call hold. is important right. to us, except that it's not, yeah. please hold. I mean, so yeah. We get away from that now. We have an, uh, uh, an always ready 24-7- support bot that knows everything about the business and can answer all of your questions. But I should go, hey, Siri, let me talk to Maverick. Maverick, tell me about the short-term future for using generative AI tools in customer support, how that's going to change customer support. Generative AI is shaking things up in customer support. In the short term, we're going to see AI handling more of the basic stuff. Think resetting passwords, tracking orders, that sort of thing. This means customer support reps can focus on the trickier cases that need a human touch. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. They'll be growing pains. As AI gets smarter, businesses will have to balance using these tools without making customers feel like they're talking to a brick wall. 
Uh, it's all about the blend, using AI to take care of the mundane while keeping that personal connection alive in customer service. What's your take on this? Well, thank you for asking. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be dramatic, and I think it's going to be <laughs> very fast. I think there's going to be an expectation of, from customers that you should have this. I mean, it, it's already my expectation. It, you know, cust- bad customer support drives me nuts. It's going to be like that. People will say this is bullshit, man. I rang up for the AI and I got the person. I yeah. can't believe this shit. Yeah, I mean, it, it, humans are just too slow, don't know stuff, have to check. Oh, sorry, I have to go check that. Like, really? I don't want that. I, I mean, I, I want the AI. I, I need the AI to do my customer service. It can, it can escalate things to a human if need be, but AI will be a first um, you know, port of call for most customer support. And I think it's going to do a much better job. It's one of the key things I talk about on stage is the dichotomy economy. Everything's really moving to the edges at the moment. I mean, in retail, it's Tiffany's and Costco. It's full service. It's no service. It's high price. It's free. That's kind of the companies that are really succeeding tend to have a position that lives on the edge. And I really like the idea of saying AI is great because so so many interactions that we have, we actually just want the thing solved. And it's nothing personal. And in fact, I wouldn't want to waste a person's time with something that is inconsequential. Like I was just fixing um, before my arcade machine, the power source um, blew up. So I have to get a new power source. And if that was something I could ring and I do it and there's an AI that says, this is the part you need, here's how it goes. You know, I don't want to waste a person's time on that. I, I want people to be redeployed to something where the humanity really matters. And then we can probably mm-hmm. pay the humans more when they're doing a human thing because the AI is really low marginal cost to operate. And we get those things done that, there's a lot of pieces in the puzzle and processes, but an AI can go through those real quick, far better than a human can, and then leave the humans to the tasks that really require empathy and 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 even just knowing that it's a human. Even if AIs can have empathy, sometimes you just want to know that the person on the other end understands and feels. Yeah. Well, I, look, I think customer support's going to be one early way that most organizations are going to have to deploy this. Um and I think another is just in uh, sort of analytics, business analytics. I mean, there's just so yep. much room for faster and better analytics out there, and not just in terms of you know figuring out you know uh, where your revenue lines are and that sort of stuff, but really looking for new opportunities in the marketplace by grabbing huge amounts of data and having the AI sift through it looking for the opportunities for your business, looking for I think you know, so. ways to improve profit, reduce cost, improve customer service, et cetera. Data science was it's been a really trendy thing really only for the last mm. decade or so, a little bit more than that. But it almost didn't exist before that. You wouldn't have a data scientist. You might have a business analyst, but then data scientists came in. But I think it might be one of those roles that re- really only had a small window of existence because AI is the perfect thing to replace a data scientist because someone can semantically code it and say, I want you to look at these markets, these things, and look for any correlations or you know, build up information that a data analyst might take two days to do and an AI mm. can do it in two minutes. Well, moving on, Steve, the other story I wanted to talk about before we get into our deep dive is uh, China is starting to play a bigger role in generating their own AIs. Alibaba this week launched the latest version of their artificial intelligence model. Tong Shi Shen Wen 
2.0. Probably pronounced that wrong. You've got a Chinese-speaking wife. You can ask her how to pronounce that for me. I'm a Chinese-speaking person as well. But I, I just got to read Yeah. Well, there you go. I did not know that. How fluent are you? Are you yeah. Is it Cantonese oh, or Mandarin? I used to be pretty good. Now, Butsuo, Butsuo. That's, that's Mandarin. Butsuo, Butsuo. Uh, which means not bad, not bad. I used to be pretty good when I used to travel there a lot for work. I'm just looking for this article here. Um, Chinese AI. Where is it? Tung Yi Chenwen. Tong Yi Shenwen. Tong Yi Chenwen. Good. Chenwen. Sounds good. Wen means um, language. The word Wen means right. language, and Chen is, I don't know what Chen means. Tong Yi, something, something language. My wife's name is Shenwen, which means sparkling language. Oh, lovely. So well, I'm go. just going to call it TQ. TQ. Yeah. They also Alibaba also introduced their Gen AI service platform, which is apparently going to let companies build their own generative AI applications using their own data, just like GPT or OpenAI did today. So uh, this is obviously part of the AI race. Is why I said earlier that I don't necessarily think that OpenAI has got a moat or a lot of runway here. There are going to be incredibly powerful AIs coming out of Google, coming out of uh, Tes- uh, you know, X, sure. coming out of China, coming out of other countries, I'm sure, as well. But particularly, I expect to see a lot mm. China, a lot, a lot of this sort of technology coming out of China in the next couple of years. It, but it does seem, though, that certain firms all race, and there, there tends to only really be one or two big winners in platform economies, you know, like with search, it's turned out that way. With app stores, it's turned out that way. You know, with hardware, with social, there tends to be a few winners and they tend to have a certain proclivity to do well in a certain thing. You know, like Amazon is clearly a logistics company. That's their that's their regime. That's where they play. You know, Apple is all about, you know, UX. It's always been their thing is, you know, deep down, Apple is all about UX. Google is a really scientific company. That's why they've never really succeeded in social. They just kind of, their DNA doesn't have that inside them. Do you Mm. know what I mean? So I do think that certain companies have a proclivity or a DNA to develop things just because they have a certain attitude that permeates through the products that it puts in market. Um, and, And it'll be interesting with LLMs and generative AI Given that they're all based on the the same kind of idea, I wonder if they can extricate themselves from the company's DNA that launches it. But the one thing that came to my mind with Chinese tech giants is, you know, what does their LLM train on? Does it train on the wider web or the Chinese web? Did it say that in the article? No, it didn't. But I'm waiting for Tencent to become part of this. You know, I, I imagine that WeChat, TikTok, these sorts of um, uh, uh, platforms are going to provide a huge uh, information stream for training Chinese AIs on. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, the CCP would be smart enough to know not to train it on, if they want a good LLM on 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 their uh, walled garden, you know, the Chinese firewall uh, for an AI because, you know, quite frankly, it's, it's – uh, there's limitations on the information that it could be trained on. But um, 
that that'll be interesting to see what happens, whether or not they have two versions of it. They have their international and their mm. local version, because certainly they do that mm. with TikTok. You know, ByteDance has very, very different versions. It's been well documented that the algorithms of what you show a teenager in China is very, very different to what you show a teenager in America. Mm. You know, in China, it's all science experiments and achievement and all of this stuff. And, you know, in America, it's like, let's dumb them down. Just put the, put the scales on dumbing down our, our competitors you know, across the Pacific. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and, you know, how the, the politics of it from the CCP need to be um, engineered for a Chinese versus a non-Chinese audience. But certainly it's going to be a, it's going know, to be a big space. It's going to say if there's rogue behaviours on, on um, a GPT because one of the things with the GPTs is as w- was documented early on when ChatGPT became a global phenomenon was how many ways you could hack it and that you just simply cannot think of all of the ways that you can ask it to give information or designed not to give. Yeah. And they have to shut things down as they go and iterate. Mm. And I wonder how the CCP will manage that given the level of censorship they have on some some sensitive issues they have in mm. their country, you know, like, you know, the Tiananmen Square situation. Mm. You want to just move on to the double dive, the double D? Double D. Okay, so well, I just wanted to get your thoughts on in Australia yesterday. We had one of our our second biggest telco went down for twelve hours or so. Ten million people were without internet access on their phone. It was I got called up by the radio and TV to make some commentary on it. Are we too reliant on technology? And I, I didn't give them what they want. I said, look, first of all, let's just it's an incredibly rare event. I don't know if you remember, but electricity strikes, uh, blackouts used to happen all the time. And you know, life went on and we didn't say, you know what, this electricity is it's, it's too dangerous. Let's let's start lighting open fires again and getting candles because, yo. <laughs> so I didn't say that, but I said, look, it is important to have redundancy in areas where it matters, you know, like hospitals and emergency services and so on. And it would probably be valuable to have adversarial interoperability uh, with things like SIM cards and so on, which we don't have in this country, but you could have it Sorry, in other ones. What does that mean? What's and then that, the, that's a new term to me. So adversarial interoperability is 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 kind of the idea that you have one platform that all technologies use. You know, the the simplest uh, example is the plugs in the wall tend to be the same in a country. You don't want to have different companies with different plugs or the same software application that everyone can understand. There's been a lot of calls for you should have that in social media so you can take your audience with you, that type of thing. And it, and it kind of creates the world that we live in. You know, HTTP protocol is adversarial. Anyone can use the same one. And so those walled gardens of having protected systems where one thing doesn't work and another is what companies want because it affords them uh, financial protection. And telcos are one of the classic ones. For a long time, you couldn't transfer your phone number. And then Mm -hmm. we said, hey, wait a minute. People should be able to keep their phone number if they change. So they changed that. But there's another call for saying, well, we should have towers and SIM cards that can go across, you know, just with a flick of a switch to a different provider. And some countries have it. I think New Zealand and a couple of the Nordic countries have it where if there's an outage, it can go across to your competitor. And it would be good if you could do that because you could do real-time mm-hmm. changing. You know, whoever's offering the best price on a particular day, mm-hmm. same with electricity, you should be able to do it, but you can't. So a lot of people were ringing in. I went on 3AW, uh, which is a callback station. It's the number one rated station, but it has a lot of uh, Luddites sort of saying that's why cash is king. you got to come back at cash because your people got caught out. They couldn't use their Apple Pay. You couldn't use mm. your Google Maps. 
And um, I mean, the question that I just wanted to ask you and get your thoughts, your your thoughts on it, you know, is a full digital world safe? I mean, I know that with military institutions, we have air gapping and we have safety you know, requisites, but not so much in mm. consumer technology. Yeah, well, the first thing I thought about was the electricity analogy as well. Look, the the world, the modern world, is built on technology. I mean, it is is going to be, and there's nothing we can do about that. The people who say that we are too reliant on technology are obviously just having a go. Um, it's kind of a stupid statement from the get go. But we do need to get smarter at mm. building safety mechanisms and redundancies into these things. I, I think there should be penalties for organi- for corporations that uh, don't – like it's the same with the, when they get hacked. When they get hacked, information gets yeah. stolen. There should be massive consequences for that, not just a stern yeah, talking but- to like they get today. There should be massive consequences. That's a, that's, that's a breach <laughs> right. of your I- corporate responsibility to take all of this customer data and then allow it to get stolen because you didn't work hard enough on building protection mechanisms into place. Yeah. I think that is exactly the number one thing. I mentioned that on the radio yesterday. I said there should be compensation. If you're in a business and you can show that you lost X amount of dollars because of the outage, then the company should pay. It's like straight up, like a straight up. And you'll find that these things happen far more rarely if one of those outages cost Optus, you know, 1.3 billion in lost sales, uh, because however many small businesses couldn't take take money from customers. I mean, and that would be pretty easy to prove, wouldn't it? Because you just have to show the history of payments on the same day and the same year and then just go, and this is how many yep. we missed out on. So, you know, pay up. And and it's the same reason with data hacks that no, there's no consequences. And when there's no consequences, there'll yeah. be no investment. Yeah, there needs to be consequences for organisations that fail to deliver the sort of uptime that is – expected you know if we if if you're selling me a service that and you're selling me on the fact that it's uh, that i can rely on it then i need to be able to rely on it anyway i look i think it was it'll be interesting to see how this plays out with optus and the management there including i think the former premier of new south wales isn't uh the disgraced premier of new south wales isn't she one of the optus senior management now that's yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Gladys, she, she's senior manager. Uh, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, I'm sure Gladys will be in overtime, uh, making phone calls in her little black book to shore up political support for the organisation. But you know, getting back, this gets back to the story that we were talking about earlier when we are using artificial intelligence to run our businesses and mm-hmm. run our lives and do all of our thinking for us. And it goes down, and apparently, uh, OpenAI's problems in the last twenty-four hours have been caused by a DDoS attack. They they've had a yeah. Oh, I really? saw. I was looking at their update page today. It was a DDoS attack on OpenAI. Now you have to wonder who is doing that the day after their big dev day and their big release of all of their new tools. <laughs> they get a DDoS attack. Well, what's like, your bet, Cam? You're 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 more experienced than almost anyone who understands corporate chicanery and interoperations between countries and you know cold war like you're the man for this one well look there are there are 
two obvious candidates. Uh, it's either somebody who just wants to watch the world burn, like an anonymous type organization that just decides AI is a dangerous thing and we're just going to start to fuck with the infrastructure and make it difficult for people, cost them time and money and, and reduce the sense of reliability. Or it's a, a, an international player. Um, uh, unfortunately, um, what's his what's his face? The guy who ran Russia's uh, private military, who got blown up in his own jet. He was he was. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I forget his name. Um, he was running uh, the the operation, I think, out of Saint Petersburg. That was supposedly doing a lot of this stuff for years. Um. You know, it's either China or, or Russia or, you know, North Korea, et cetera, et cetera, always the names that get thrown around. But really, uh, can they be bothered doing this kind of stuff? I don't know. The third option is one of their competitors. Yeah. You know, it maybe it's a it's yeah. a Brock or it's a, it's a, a Google or somebody. I think any of them would stoop to that. Oh, look, I can't help but think that, you know, coincidences are so interesting because they're coincidences. <laughs> well, a, DDo- a DDoS attack's not a coincidence. Somebody's targeting you, trying oh, to oh, overload yeah, your right. system. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. Sorry, my so bad. So somebody deliberately attacked them yesterday, uh, the day after their big announcement, when their systems would have been getting maxed out anyway. The somebody hit them to try and do them could it damage. Just be, could it just be the maxed out damage. because because that. Could it just be a max out because the the launch was so interesting and did so well? I'm just looking. Sam, well, that was keynote. It didn't really go viral. Viral would it get eight hundred thousand views? It's not huge. I mean, it's big, well, but it's not. You know, blow yeah, up viral. Well, no. Look, my initial assumption. I think their initial assumption too probably would have been that it was just the back end systems were getting hammered because everyone was testing out the new tools. There's always going to be a a peak in people playing with this stuff in the first few days after an announcement. We saw that when GPT first came out. There was a massive peak of interest for a few months, and then it waned off, and the media was yeah, like, was. oh, the GPT buzzes over. Like, it's <laughs> it's all died off. But then they came out and said it was a DDoS yeah, attack dead. today. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, somebody's attacking you. I, I, I got no idea who it would be. My guess. I don't think it would. I don't think it's corporate espionage, corporate. I, I just don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm wearing rose-colored gra- glasses, but I just don't think that a public company or a, a real competitor would do that necessarily. I just don't imagine that that would happen. But maybe it would. Oh, I, I imagine corporate espionage happens all the time, Steve. But uh, they would probably, if you're going to do something like that, you would do it obviously through a series of fronts, so it would never come back. There'd be plausible deniability. But my guess is, if I had to guess, it would have to be pre-planned. It'd have to be pre-planned a DDoS attack, wouldn't it? You couldn't do it that quickly, right? Oh yeah, you probably. How quick could you you deploy one? It's just a, just a bunch of bots, right? That you send out to hammer a destination. But my guess is that it's probably an activist organization that are anti AI. That uh, and, and I imagine. And I love that they use a form of AI to be anti-AI. That's what I love the most. That that I love is the circular. Did reference. you watch Mr. Robot? I, I did. What a great show! It was show. a great show until it sort of jumped the shark. I thought. 
It lost its yeah. way a bit. Yeah, it lost the its way. The first couple of they seasons. They all do. It's very hard to maintain. The first greatness. couple of seasons were great. The first two seasons yeah, were yeah. super. But uh, that's who I imagine is. I think it's Mr. Robot, somebody like that, trying to, you know, stop the system in its tracks. I don't think anyone's taken credit for it, though, which is unusual. You'd expect that if it was an activist organization, they would have come out wearing their Guy Fawkes masks and, you know, taking credit for it. But we'll see yeah. how it plays out. Yep. Technology time warp, okay. Steve. Well, I just think that I did a, a computer science course in 1992 at university, and one of the key things that they were talking about that would arrive then was the EMDS, the Executive Management Decision System software. And we would all be using, by the time we graduated, Cameron, we wouldn't really be asking any questions. We'd be pumping these into a system which would look at all of the data, give us little – they didn't use the word the applications, but something like that where it would synthesize all of the data, deliver it to us, and give us things that we need to make decisions upon. And mm. I just thought it was such an interesting time warp given – and if you read any of the old uh, software textbooks from way back then, they all had that in there. And here we are 30 years later – and mm. and it's arrived, you know, like here they are with mm. the GPTs coming online, which are going to be like little micro executive management decision system, systems and tools to get things done. But that was mm. the big promise. And this was kind of pre-public web and pre-browser. So at the time mm -hmm. it was all about bespoke software going into your internal system, extracting data from your internal system, things from the business, the operations, the logistics, the manufacturing, the retailers and pulling it all together. And I just thought, wow, that's so interesting that so many ideas are long in the tooth mm. and 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 they take that they germinate for a really long time before the technology catches up mm. to the promise of what we can imagine. Mm. And it just felt like a moment where that time warp finally arrived. And I, I was watching the open AI presentation going, wow, I, this is kind of the promise mm. of internal system because mm -hmm. it was pre-web. Mm. There was no wider web. It was like you need a decision system on internal stuff to make things and do things internally. Mm. And so we finally got there 30 years later. Yeah. Like, so one of the interesting things about the Dev Day announcement was the increase in the size of the context window now that ChatGPT has and that the API has. I think it's gone from 8,000 tokens to something like 128,000 tokens or something. I remember Sam said you can now use like 300 pages of a book. 300 pages of a book, yeah. Which is pretty impressive. But looking at the AI assistance stuff where you can upload 20 documents and I think each document has to be uh, under 500 meg, I think. Let me just mm. check that. Uh, it might be 500 gig, hold on, which is a lot of documents. Uh, 512 meg each, there you go. And the size of all the files uploaded can't exceed 100 gig. But it's still a lot of files, right, if it's documentation. If you have the right ones. I mean, the problem that you might have, especially in corporate, is that there's so much repetition and the same things and having quality databases is becoming really important. Everyone's databases are terribly unclean. Mm. But I, I was talking to Chrissy about this the other night about whether or not books will be a thing anymore. Like, and I'm talking about nonfiction books as opposed to fiction. Like you and I have written a fair share of nonfiction books, and but books yeah. are great. I love books. I read books. 
every day, but it's a linear experience, right? As you as you're reading through it. Yeah. Um now I'm not sure I want to read a nonfiction book anymore. Um now if you took a book, one of your books, and you made a GPT about it, what was what was the title of your last book? The Lesson School Forgot. Right. So if you gave me that as a GPT and I could ask you questions about it. Okay, so what's this book about? Oh, okay. Tell me the top five, you know, uh, lessons that I should learn from this book. Oh, that's interesting. Let's drill down on that. Tell me a little bit more about that and why that's important. And it becomes my own little, I don't know, Wikipedia version of your book that talks to me using GPT voice. My last book, The Psychopath Epidemic, you know, you can have a conversation with the book now. And you can say, okay, read me a chapter. Conversation with the book is actually, that's a really, really cool idea, Cam. Just pause on that. A conversation with a book. So could you have a conversation with a biography? Because then you might be talking to Arnold Schwarzenegger or Steve Martin or whoever you've read about. Yeah, I that becomes that becomes an interesting idea. Well, a conversation with them or a conversation about them with the book. Um, you know, the ability to, uh, as I told you uh, at the beginning of this, like I uploaded the QAV book that I've been writing, and I can interrogate the system now about the book, so and get it to flesh things out, and it, and it explain things that weren't in the book too. Like when I was asking it about price to operating cash flow. It went off and started giving me uh, definitions of price to operating cash flow and how operating cash flow is different from free cash flow and how price to operating cash flow is different as a metric to price to earnings. And, you know, it was pulling stuff that I know aren't in my notes. Uh, it was getting it from outside. So you have the opportunity now to start to have conversations about a book. I, I, I could see a future, Steve, where you and I don't publish a book. We publish a GPT. I've just published my I like that. new GPT yeah. on Subject X on psychopaths, and here's the link to go to the website, or here's the app, and you can interact with the GPT and learn all about this subject that I've just written about for you. You know, uh, so Cameron in the editing booth here, folks. Literally, as soon as we uh, stopped recording today, uh, I created a psychopath GPT. I, I jumped on GPT and saw that they'd actually launched the My GPTs functionality today after they've gotten over their DDoS attack. So I uploaded the PDF of my book, The Psychopath Epidemic, turned it into a GPT within a minute and then uh, published it on uh, Facebook. Say, hey, you want to know anything about psychopaths or what I think about how psychopaths run and ruin the world? Ask my GPT. Um, so if you want to check that out and have a play with it, you need to have a chat GPT plus membership. But uh, go to the link uh, for this blog post, uh, for this episode, go to the blog post for this episode on futuristicpod.com and uh, have a play with it. Let me know what you think. I mean, it's a really, I've really liked that a lot because I've been thinking about writing a book. Uh, I've got a couple of ideas, but I'm just like, is anyone going to read a book and is it worth promoting the book that hard? You know, because I think things have really, really changed since I did my last one, which was mm. five years ago. 
Like it's changed a lot mm. in that time. And mm. mm-hmm. to publish a GPT, I mean, I've just written that down. I'm like, this is a seriously good idea. Like on an I especially on something that would be a nonfiction book, it feels really strong because the the book becomes again nonlinear. You ask it, you interrogate it, you mm. you put pieces in there. I was just thinking too with a book, you gave me a, a great idea. I'm like, you could create a GPT that takes any book and you just simply say, give me different social media scripts from that book. It doesn't have to be the exact words. It could be whatever. Give me Insta script. Give me a TikTok script. Give me, you know, with the visuals and everything. It goes through the book and and it does that mm. immediately. I could do that with my lesson school forgot, which is one of the things that I was thinking of doing. And now I could go in there and go, all right, here's my book. Here's uh, the PDF of it all. It's less than 300 pages and and create a GPT uh, that turns it into books. So you could do it for anyone. You could book talk. Here we go. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking about yeah, something that's part book, part podcast, part GPT. So I'm going to take all of the transcripts of all of, let's say, my podcast series on Julius Caesar, take it all, put it, and publish it as a GPT, and then people who know nothing about it can start listening to it. All right, uh, just read me the first chapter or the the you know read me the first episode and it'll you know it can play maybe play the original podcast um it'll play sort of half an hour and then you can imagine you're in your car right you you're listening to an audiobook and you can say hold on stop um explain to me more about why this character who was Sulla tell me more about Sulla I don't understand Sulla what's What's Sulla's relationship to Julius Caesar? What was Sulla's uh, importance in the history of Rome? Uh, what was Sulla's relationship with Marius? And it can just, based on the notes uh, from my podcast, the transcripts from my podcast, it can answer those questions the way that I would answer those questions. Or it can go out to Wikipedia or go out to the wider web and, and answer those questions. So and then you can go, okay, that's enough. Go back to re- go back to playing the episode or go back to reading the book or whatever it is. And- yeah, you can you can bounce off. It's like a web experience with an AI that taps into what you need as you as you do it with verbal instruction. Yeah. And at the moment you can do that, but you switch between say an audio yeah, book and you then you yeah. jump over to GPT. But forums. I, yep. I can I can see where this is going to be a new kind of platform where I'll be publishing my podcast slash book slash GPT that's more of a, an interactive entertainment slash educational experience. And this really taps into the where do tomorrow's jobs come from. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm not sure everyone's going to have No, it does. It really, for me, it does. Ability or no, not everyone's going to have this, it. But, so, no, but this is this is one example of something you or I could do. So then there's going to be a number of other examples for tradespeople and whatever where they're just leveling up on top of the technology and this panic that jobs are going to go away. I've always thought it just creates more jobs than it removes. But the one you had then, I'm like, well, I should put all my stuff in there and and develop a, you know, wiki me. You know, maybe you could have wiki mind GPTs where if someone who's got a lot of published content like you, Cam, or myself mm. – it's like mm. just becomes an interactive tool on the way I think about certain things or mm. any thought leader mm. thinks and knows about all uh, all manner of topics that they're interested in. Mm. You could really tap into that using this kind of method. Mm. Imagine if you build a GPT that anyone could point their web page and their social media to mm. 
And actually it, it creates a conversational bot for that person or an information extraction machine mm. on what Cam Riley thinks about various issues or Steve Sammartino on tech or investing or whatever it is. Yeah, because- There's so much opportunity in this, so much. When you ask GPT to answer a question right now, it's giving you an answer that's been- it's based on its training, and its training is, you know, this massive uh, online database and a book database and things like that. Um, yep. But let's say I'm only interested in how Noam Chomsky would answer that question. You know, I, yeah, exactly. I want to tap into Noam Chomsky's, all of his published stuff and get his view on it. Noam, it's like, he's like 96 or something now. Noam yeah, Chomsky's not old. going to be around forever. But his body of work will survive him, and that will end up as a GPT, and I'll be able to, you know, when the next uh, Israel-Gaza war breaks out five years from now, Noam's not around, I'll be able to say, what would what would Noam, how would Noam talk about- What would, what would he say about this? Yeah, exactly. This? By the way- Yeah, no, but I think, it, but for non-famous people, or people who have even just got a body of work that could be private for now, you could plug it in and then and then make it public or- yeah. It's a really strong idea. Or if you're, yeah, if you've got deep GPT, knowledge in Wiki, any WikiMind GPT, deep knowledge in any yeah. topic. If you're a an, an engineer or you're a, I don't know, a, a, a shop fitter or whatever your skill set, a violin teacher. Uh, Chrissy was talking about this the other night. She's like, if well, if I sort of captured everything that I know about teaching violin that I tell my students. You know, based on the last twenty-five years of being a violin teacher, I could create a an AI tool to teach violin. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of visuals in that, but you could create those as well. I just wanted to say, I asked, uh, I asked Zoom's AI companion to catch me up, and it says, um, yeah. the meeting so far has covered various topics, including the concept of the dichotomy economy and how businesses are moving towards the edges. The discussion also touched on China's role in generating their own artificial intelligence and the potential for corporate espionage. There was mention of a DDoS attack on a company and the need for consequences for organizations that fail to protect customer data. The conversation then shifted to the idea of having conversations with books using AI technology. Overall, the meeting covered a range of subjects related to technology, business, and AI. Not bad. Not a it's bad pretty good summary, summary isn't yeah. it? It's actually it's not bad. It's pretty damn good. Like if you weren't in that meeting yeah. and you got that, you'd be you'd be right up to date. In fact, you might even be better up to date than the people who were in the meeting. Yeah, who tuned out and were looking at their phones. Yeah, who were just doing whatever, exactly. Just thinking about what time they can leave the office. Let's wrap boss plus five. Let's wrap this up with your futurist forecast for episode 17, Steve. Well, I my futures forecast is really simple, and we've sort of mentioned it. I feel like OpenAI could really build a platform for the ages. The idea that you're going to have GPTs that, as you mentioned, you know, could have 10 billion developers in the world. Just the cognitive surplus and creativity on top of AI and what could come out of that, to me, is extraordinary. Of course, there's a lot of other LLMs out there, but I think this small lead that they've got where they're sort of opening it up to others to develop is is a really, really significant lead in the market. Um, and I, I just think, I mean, we'll just spend the last 10 minutes talking about the things that you could do with G, GPTs that you've made. And I, I think that OpenAI is really on the precipice of doing something extraordinary, whether or not it's OpenAI or Microsoft or you know, whether they separate out. Um, but I really think it's on the precipice of something extraordinary because of the platform nature of how quick they've got to that before the others. 
Yeah, and Sam Altman did say in his keynote that they're going to be launching that store in the next couple of weeks, next few weeks. Yeah, uh, there'll be revenue sharing agreements with the creators of the GPTs who want theirs to be public. They're doing the full app store model, and you know, one of my concerns with OpenAI is that Microsoft will at some point decide to bring it all in-house. Um, I'm not sure how that works with OpenAI's charter that it was created under where it was supposed to be open source and all of this kind of stuff. It's That charter it used to be a non-profit, but it's not anymore. Microsoft has a 49% share and they get 75% of OpenAI's profits until they get their $10 billion investment back and they get to keep their 49% share. Yeah, but That's the current status. Didn't they? I think the non-profit still exists, but it set up a commercial entity underneath the non-profit. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know what sort of corporate chicanery is going on there, but um, I, look, my understanding is they're certainly not non-for-profit anymore. I don't know how they've managed it, but I, I feel like it's a very commercial entity now. Yeah. Well, I, I think they set one. I think the story is they set one up underneath the non-profit, but the non-profit still is the, the parent of the commercial. Um, and I'm not sure what restrictions they have under that, but, you know, I think – Sort of the death of OpenAI would be if Microsoft took it all in house because they don't have a good track record of um, taking over businesses like that and then continuing to run them successfully. I mean, they they no. took over Xbox, they took over Halo, they took over Hotmail back in the day. They've bought a number of businesses over the years, which have survived, but don't you know Xbox is definitely. Um, lost its leadership in the marketplace to PlayStation now. Uh, Hotmail, obviously, who uses Hotmail? I still have a Hotmail account, but I haven't looked at it for I love it when I get an email from Hotmail. Ago. I love it. Yeah. I just love it. It's great. The only people who send me Hotmail emails are Microsoft because I think it's attached to my Xbox account and my, my Microsoft account. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, obviously, Sachin Nadella isn't Steve Barmer. Um, he, he, he's done a pretty good job there. You have to commend him on what he's done, particularly with the open AI investment. But um, yeah, I, I fear the day when they decide to bring it all in-house. And I hope uh, they don't yeah. because it seems as though the way they're developing it is, is is doing really well. Surely it wouldn't change it anytime soon. Yeah, man. But how many times have we seen that happen to startups over <laughs> the last 30 years, right? Uh, great idea. We're not going to integrate it. We promise we're going to leave yeah. it and we're going to whatever until we change our mind immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to change a thing. We just we love what to- you. We're not going to wreck anything yeah. until we wreck yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, corporate power structures and the psychopaths within them um, tend to ruin these sorts of things. But um, anyway, I, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It's just been an incredible couple of weeks, Steve. Things just seem to be moving faster and faster. Every time we do an episode, it just seems like we're on the we're on the knee of the exponential curve of the hockey stick. Don't you don't you feel that way? Oh more so than ever. I just it it's very difficult to keep up. And and that's why we need more AI so we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what I want to, the challenge I want to set both of us for our next episode is to come up with a list of uh, realistic short-term scenarios where 
AI is going to play a significant role in businesses and government departments, institutions, how it's going to require dramatic changes in the way that they think and operate. Because I really want to, I mean, that was you know, part of my impetus for doing the show was to, for the you and I to, to sort of have the space to think through that sort of stuff and pick it apart and start to figure out where the opportunities and the, the threats are for businesses. So I think we should come up with a couple of those each for next week. What do you think? Let's do that. Thanks, mate. You have a good week. You too. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Cam.